all around the American shoreline, local communities struggle with the threat of sea level rise, beach and shoreline erosion, and the cost of responding to those threats. Today on the Local Control Podcast, we are going to be focusing our attention on a specific project from Long Island, New York in Suffolk County where a local group of homeowners organized themselves and over the period of several years successfully executed a beach restoration project. This particular effort was critical to the future of the community and amazingly successful, driven in large part by the efforts of the homeowners themselves. Hello, everybody. This is Peter Ravella. I am the host of the Local Control Podcast. And today we are going to be talking about the North Sea Beach Colony Shoreline Project that was recently completed in July of 2022. And we've got a great guest for the show today. Nathaniel Weineke is a past president of the North Sea Beach Colony Association, currently a board member and one of the instrumental players in the success of the North Sea Beach Colony Project. Welcome to the show, Nathaniel. Peter, thanks for having me on. I, I can't wait to engage in our conversation. Well, I had the uh, I had the pleasure, Annette, as you know, of being present uh, for the placement of some of the material for the North Sea Beach Colony Project. Uh, it was really a thrill to see this effort come to fruition, and uh, I think it's worthy of a discussion for all kinds of beach communities around the American shoreline to understand what it is you were what it is you were able to accomplish and how you were able to accomplish that. So I'm looking forward to uh, the story we are going to hear today about your effort. Well, we'll spin you a good yarn here. Nat, introduce us, if you would, to the North Sea Beach Colony. Sure. The, the North Sea Beach Colony is a little community on the Peconic Bay estuary at the east end of Long Island, New York. So uh, if you're at all familiar with it, Long Island has two forks, North and South Fork, and we're located at the top of the South Fork. And our, our little community was founded at the at the very uh, first decades of the 20th century. It's just a little fishing outpost uh, where folks would come out from the city. Uh, and we really you know, had these kind of what we call four poster bungalows where the, the little these little cabins were up on cedar posts. And uh, and over the years, uh, you know, the families have largely stayed the same. Almost all the, the my family uh, bought here in 1952. My grandparents bought uh, and that's the story with all of our all of our families, and and you know we're really kind of a a story of the American dream as as our as our you know our our grandparents thought to you know find a place where their kids could fish and play, and um, and we've gotten to watch each other's uh, kids uh, play and grow up, grow up here. It's really a tight knit community. Our association is our homeowners association is very active. Um, you know, it's the type of place where we attend each other's uh, you know each other's weddings and funerals and. Uh, and we spent a lot of time together on our beach. You know, tell us about the shoreline here. Uh, this is a small community. I understand there's fewer than 100 parcels in the community. Um, tell us about the size of the, uh, of the area that you all occupy, and tell us about the beach as well. Sure. So it, it's 62 homes, of which 12 of them are waterfront homes. So that gives you a sense that the rest of them are inland uh, there's no home in our colony that's more than I would say a uh, <clears throat> 90 second uh, walk to our common our common beach path, and and you've got every everything from you know some of the homes are original two bedroom houses up on posts, 
and then you know you've seen uh, you know these homes grow over the years as as, uh, as families have have invested in them. You know, our beach, uh, you know, if I go back to the pictures, even from when I was a kid, much less when my dad was a kid, you know, we had a large and healthy beach uh, for the better part of the 20th century. Uh, and when I say a large beach, I mean maybe 70, 80 feet at low tide, 20, 30 feet uh, at, at high tide, again, depending on the on the year. And uh, a couple of things contributed to to our, our erosion situation. Uh, so first and, and foremost, and I think all of your folks in the science, scientific realm will understand this, after a series of hurricanes in the 1950s, um, uh, the, the community hardened our shoreline by putting in, in bulkheads. And, um, and those bulkheads uh, had been you know, replaced and replaced over the years as they either were worn or, or battered. Uh, and right up the bluff from those, it, the bluff sits anywhere between 12 to 90 feet above above the top of the beach. So you have some homes that are way up, some folks that are, are pretty close to the shoreline. But all the homes are near, are relatively near the edge of the bluff. And so fast forward many years later, uh, you know, we started to see our beach eroding. Uh, and, uh, you know, there were some in, in the in the community uh, whose who's chosen uh, solution for us was to pick up the phones, move them back and tear out the bulkheads. But for the most part, these homes uh, and scientifically that would work. But our land parcels here are very small. I mean, you have everything from homes on an eighth of an acre. And I think the largest parcel in our whole community is a third of an acre. So these are not large, huge Hamptons estates that you think of. Uh, when you watch uh, reality uh, uh, TV shows. <laughs> right. The, the, se- the second most uh, important variable is about uh, 30 years ago, uh, the town changed its uh, dredging uh, habits in terms of where they deposited spoils from dredging the, the, local, the local channel. And the, the littoral drift of sand in our area is, uh, is west to east. And they used to basically alternate, putting sand to the west of the channel and the east of the channel. And, and that worked fine uh, because we would we would benefit from that drift and we'd have a natural replenishment project. And then we had about a 20-year run uh, where at least our math says we had a, a sand deficit uh, on our side of the channel of about 88,000 cubic yards, if my memory serves. It could be even even a little bit more than that. Uh, as you can imagine, on a on a you know a, a beach with uh, you know only 30 35 feet at at, at high tide. 88,000 cubic yards, and you're underwater pretty quickly. And that's what we found ourselves with, you know, by, by seven years ago, after, particularly after Superstorm Sandy was kind of the last nail in the coffin, we would walk down our communal steps, and you'd have a, you'd, you'd be right in the water at low tide, and you'd be in a foot and a half of water at high tide. We, we effectively had no beach left. So you're starting to see as a community the decline in the width of the beach uh, and beginning to understand the sediment management practices that have contributed to the problem. Uh, Nat, you are a an experienced uh, government practitioner, a lobbyist on Capitol Hill, uh, has been and have been named one of the top lobbyists by the Hill newspaper for many years in a row now. You're experienced in government relations. Uh, you're experienced in the North Sea Beach Colony Association group, being the past president. When did the community start to understand the severity of the problem, and how did you decide to approach it? So the you know the severity stared us right in the face when we brought our kids down to the beach, and and you know for a good four or five years, our our, our beach chairs would be literally sitting up against the bulkhead because we'd have two or three feet of dry sand at at high tide, and and then by in, later on even at low tide, and and um, I guess it was about seven years ago. 
um, I actually uh, purchased the house that I own now off of my parents, and I went to our the first association meeting I'd been to since I was a kid, and and they had a report on the beach, and, and a number of members of the community had reached out to the town and to a- ask for their help, and and the thing about having a community that is really tight and long and has a lot of long-standing residents is that there's a long collective memory, and many of the residents remembered back in the in the 60s, 70s, 80s when the county Suffolk County, New York. They had a huge World War II military uh, excess dredge. It's a massive piece of equipment. Uh, and periodically, they would pump sand not just our direction, but they would pump it all the way down to our beach. And so the expectation of the residents was, well, why did that stop? And how do we get it to start back up? And and so many things, they got rid of that dredge in, in like the 70s and plus the, uh, the New York Environmental Conservation Act, uh, I think it was in 1972, changed the rules on how they, how they conduct dredging. And so, you know, first we had to get to the point of, you know, there, there is no free in restoring our beach. The current dredge doesn't dredge that far. You know, the town, you know, has literally thousands of beaches. And if they had to pay to, you know, put sand on every single one of them, there's not enough money in the, in the town or county budget uh, to make that happen. And so, you know, where we, we started is, um, you know, I uh, made an appointment to see the, the town supervisor at the time. And uh, ended up meeting with with her uh, chief of staff to kind of walk through the challenges uh, that we faced. And she's and uh, she had walked me through some uh, erosion control work that was done on the Atlantic Ocean side uh, in the town of Southampton, and suggested that we may want to explore creating a special uh, taxing district and erosion uh, control district. Um, you know, I, I brought that back to my community and, and surprise, surprise, when I when I initially talked about, hey, let me raise your taxes, I can pay for a beach. Uh, the reaction was was <laughs> a, a resounding, you know, no, if not heck no. Um, but, I, you know, I'm never one to sort of take no for an answer. And, and so we began, uh, you know, educating people on on what on what these these are and the potential exposures here. And um and we ended up uh, bringing in a coastal engineer, uh, Aram Tertunian from First Coastal, uh, to, do a pre- to do a presentation on what it would take um, uh, to understand the engineering of our beach. Because we had no sense of scope. Is Do we need a lot of sand? Do we need a little sand? Is this millions of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars? We really had no comprehension. Well, you know... Uh- Nat, what I thank you for for introducing us uh, to the problem, and I think what's interesting here, and and why this is an important example for other communities around the American shoreline, is first of all, this is a small community of sixty two uh, homeowners, sixty two parcels of land, uh, with an armored uh, shoreline, uh, timber bulkheads primarily along the waterfront, a clear problem. Uh, and the organization required to develop a shoreline response program is a big ticket item. These are difficult to do. They're technically, uh, obviously, somewhat complicated, require coastal engineering and all the attributes that go into designing a project. But they're also publicly uh, challenging, getting the political system to pay attention, developing the infrastructure, the political infrastructure necessary to execute a project. And in this case, the homeowners voluntarily led an effort to form the North Sea Beach Colony Erosion Control District, a taxing entity, to finance this program. And 
Um, I understand when you first introduced this notion to the community, a little bit of resistance, something that uh, I'm familiar with. Um, tell us about what it took to convince your fellow owners that it was their financial responsibility to take this problem on. Walk us through when, when, first of all, what year did this happen and how long did that discussion go on? So we finished a project this year is 2022. So this would have started in 2015, the summer of 2015. So one of the first things that we knew we needed to do was, you know, figure out the science behind restoring our beach. We, we didn't know, if this was a huge project or a small project, we didn't know if we needed, you know, a, a, a couple thousand yards of sand or or a hundred thousand yards of sand. We really had no concept for the the, the mathematics of not only what it would uh, take to restore our visible beach, uh, but frankly, how much sand we lost under the water and what it would take uh, to do that. So our, our community came together and and uh, we uh, the leadership of our board convinced them to hire uh, First Coastal, a coastal engineering firm out of uh, West Hampton, New York, uh, who, who came in to do a presentation, kind of what it would take for them to you know, engineer a solution for us. And that took the be- a better part of a year. I would say, uh, you know, we spent basically two years talking about it as a community, and then we had a year with First Coastal's work. So now we're in approximately 2017, 2018. Uh, Aram came back with with final uh, at First Coastal with final recommendations to us, and and ultimately we ended up with a design project of of approximately uh, depending on what was sand was available to us a, a beach uh, profile with about fifteen to twenty five thousand cubic yards of sand necessary across fourteen hundred foot of frontage, and so that basically would take us uh, that full fourteen hundred foot frontage. Uh, from almost all of it being, uh, you know, anywhere from six inches to a foot underwater at high tide, uh, to having a beach profile of about 20, 22 feet at uh, high tide and uh, 60 to 65 feet uh, at, at low tide. That was the design profile. Again, we didn't know, and, and from a cost perspective, uh, again, you know, at the time, you know, everything was subject to bids and so forth, but we had a cost range of about 180 to 330 thousand dollars, depending on what tools we used to get the sand there there were and that depended a lot on our interaction with the town uh which frankly was quite challenging uh at first at first yeah i want to talk i I really think that local government relationship is such a critical thing when uh property owners organize themselves to address a problem of coastal erosion um one of the unusual things about this particular uh project uh, is the the fact that the county had owned and operated a dredge, uh, a local government owned dredge, uh, and still does today. Um, when you approached the county, Suffolk County, and the town of Southampton, uh, was there any point in the conversation where they said, hey, guys, we understand the problem. Let us get out our checkbook and help you. What was the response that, of the local government officials to the idea of financially contributing to your project? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I, and I have to say, you know, um, you know, as many of your listeners probably know, the, the governments, the local government of our, of our town and our county, they certainly do talk and coordinate. In fact, our local uh, town apparatus has to request the dredging of our local, of our local harbor. But it's not always the closest working relationship. It, it's a fair partnership. 
uh, but each has its own equities, and the county's equity are navigable waterways, um, not uh, recreational beach re resources. And so we, we certainly did talk with the county, and they essentially said, you know, listen, we can put the sand east or put the sand west, but we're not moving it one inch further. The, the challenge that they have while they do own their own dredge is they literally have thousands of miles of coastline and, and dozens and dozens of harbors to dredge, and they really have a three-month window from September uh, through uh, December to get their three or four month window to get their dredging uh, done. It, traditionally, it starts like October 1st and goes through the end of the calendar year in order to meet the environmental consideration. So their, their binding constraint was time. You know, we have four days for this, this harbor and then we're moving on to the next harbor. So our, uh, it really came to bear in working with the town of Southampton. And, and that, was a, that was both a technical exercise with their environmental uh, staff and also a political exercise uh, by having the will to have them them help us. And initially we had a bit of a rough go with the environmental staff where they even said in a town board meeting that their recommendation was the homeowners should pick their houses up and move them move them back and tear out the bulkheads, uh, which you can imagine uh, didn't resonate well. And so, so what I understood was that was not a viable political solution for the elected officials because they have thousands and thousands of people with homes near the water. So the question was, what is the solution that we, we could come up with? When you faced the, I wouldn't say the resistance from the local government, but understood where your project fit in the priorities of Suffolk County and the management of the waterways and, and uh, harbors that they have responsibility for, um, what kind of an effort did, did it take to uh, bring this project into focus politically, what did you have to do as a group of people to raise the profile of the project and perhaps persuade the local leadership to uh, to dive in? So the, the first thing is we, we needed to demonstrate that this wasn't a project for a bunch of, you know, ultra wealthy Hamptons millionaires. I mean, we're a very blue collar community. I mean, there certainly are people of means here, uh, but most of the houses in this community are, you know, 12 to 1500 square feet um, little bungalows. Um, but but the perception was one that we knew we needed we needed to overcome. And and the recognition that the broader community in our area uses this beach to fish, uh, to walk on, walk their dogs, play with their kids. And, you know, initially, while we would get our calls turned now and again, we weren't really getting the action we needed uh, from the town board. And, and you know, there, there's the old adage that the squeaky wheel uh, needs the grease. And, and we were feeling enough of a sense of urgency that that I, I really relied on some of the, the things that I do in my in my uh, political lobbying life. And I went out and uh, uh, worked with a friend of mine to design a Facebook advertising campaign uh, where we also advertise on Instagram and uh, Twitter and any of those ad platforms you can. And, uh, you know, targeted the zip codes in the area. And we called it Save North Sea Beach. Very simple with some very stunning imagery of our dwindling beach. Uh, and, you know, I feel so passionate about it. I put about 2,500 bucks of my own money, uh, my personal money behind that. Um, and uh, we ended up generating a petition uh, with 5,000 signatures, all local people, all vote, you know, most voters, I would uh, to say, but all local. Uh, and finally, after about three weeks of that ad campaign going on, I got a call from a town official that the, the essence of the call was, so how do we get the ads to stop? <laughs> it sounds like you had an impact. You got their attention, a little bit of the squeaky wheel. It, you know, it, the, 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 it, it exponentially improved from that point on. We started having weekly meetings. The town designated a lead for us to talk to. Um, you know, we, we, we were able to crystallize 
the plan, we had you know, no fewer than 20 town board meetings after that on different components of the past, you know, uh, you know, briefings from from the community. It was by no our, our community, our own community was by no means 100 uh, percent supportive. There were communities nearby uh, that didn't want our project to negatively affect them. And, and they they were opposed uh, to our project. Uh, and, you know, when, when push came to shove, uh, the town board uh, determined that if, if we were willing to pay for it ourselves, uh, and given that we hadn't gotten any sand from the municipal dredging in 20 years, uh, that they would allow us uh, uh, to do so. But they required us to have a referendum of our 62 homeowners. Um, and they held that referendum in the middle of January, where a good number of our homeowners are seasonal. Uh, and so in that context, what I what we did was uh, we sent letters to each one of our homeowners telling them how they could vote absentee. Uh, I checked in with the, the town uh, registrar who's, who's tracking the votes come in, and I got a list of all the people who voted, not how they voted, but who voted. And we would send them a postcard uh, if they hadn't voted yet. And we did that for about four weeks. And the result of our referendum was we had an 86% turnout of our homeowners, which is amazing. Phenomenal uh, in America. And we won the vote with eighty-six percent. So what, the what was the what was the choice on the ballot? What was the ballot proposition? So it was, do you want to put this tax on yourself? Uh, literally, do you want to institute the tax? And you know the the process of how, who pays how much might be might be worth a little conversation here. But uh, the night of that election, the town supervisor called me and he said, "Landslide, Winnicky, looks like we're going to build a beach." And uh, and that's that was uh, you know. Four years ago or so. So, so that vote authorized the formation of the North Sea Beach Colony Erosion Control District, a special taxing district, uh, to finance the project. Is that accurate? Yep, that's exactly right. Well, this is the thing that I think local governments around the country and local communities, particularly homeowner associations, can understand. This is why I love this story, uh, Nad. Is that the uh, the the elements coming to to together here? are the political outreach and sophistication of engagement with the local elected leaders and your adjoining uh, property owners and citizens, uh, the presence of Aaron Turchunian and First Coastal, expert coastal engineering advice, uh, the presence of the county, the Suffolk County-owned dredge. All of these things are important elements in the recipe of success that you were able to put together if there is one variable that if you did not have in the project development process you went through that would have ensured the project's failure, what, what variable did, was so critical to your success in, in, in hindsight now that you've successfully executed the project? Yeah, there's, there's no question it's proximity to a sand resource. You know, every, everyone thinks because we're on a body of water that you can drop a dredge pipe out in the middle of our bay and just pump sand off the bottom onto a beach, but that's ecologically uh, not the right way to go. And we, we, have, we have a harbor that's about 2,000 feet from us uh, that, uh, you know, when they dredge that harbor generally annually and dredge about 15 to 20,000 cubic yards of sand out each year when, when they dredge it. And, and we were able to get them to deposit on our side and then through the bond that we let uh, pay to move it physically with payloaders uh, down our down our beach, and and we're looking forward to phase two, where we're going to maybe help them pump it down our beach. That's a heck of a deal. That sand source, of course, is a major uh, is the major cost factor in these projects, even more than the engineering, of course. 
uh, but the sand and the construction uh, is so expensive. And you're right, the proximity of the sand source is a driving factor to success. It's a fortunate thing. Um, this, of course, in the parlance of the coastal engineering community is the beneficial use of dredged material from an adjacent channel. Um, how did the project come together? In this case, uh, tell us about the project construction. The material was judged from the channel. How was it placed and then spread? And tell us about your future plans. I think you just alluded briefly to that. Sure. So, you know, this was this was coming together. And one of the challenges we faced is, uh, is there was a, a large uh, landowner uh, that had land adjacent to the channel on our side of the channel. And, um, you know, we had to get permission from that landowner to stockpile the dredged spoils on, on, on their property. And we had to work with them for some period of time to make sure that they felt that, that their property was going to be protected. Uh, we also had to convince the town board to indemnify that landowner, just in case, let's say, a piece of equipment should spill some diesel or, or something, someone should get hurt or something like that. The landowner wanted to make sure that they obviously would be protected from any, any negative consequences. So that took us a, a good amount of time uh, to do that. And, and we were finally able to convince both them and the town board uh, to get that done. Uh, and then they started uh, uh, pumping sand our direction. In the first year, they pumped about 10,000 cubic yards. Uh, we, we stockpiled that over the winter, of which we probably lost 5,000 uh, to some nor'easters that we had. The next season, they dredged. They dredged uh, about 18,000 uh, cubic yards. And our agreement with the landowner was that we would leave 5,000 on their property, which was also at risk of erosion. And so what we did then is we moved the 5,000 we had stockpiled and another 13,000 or so from, the, from that year's dredging. Uh, and we had, uh, depending on the day, two to three four-yard bucket loaders. Uh, just making hundreds of trips up and down the beach. I'll never forget the first picture uh, that I took. I was standing on a bluff when the first payloader dumped the first bucket of sand, and it, it looked like a, like a drop in the ocean, literally. It, it was like one teeny bucket, and I posted it to our, our community social media page, and, and quite a shocking number of negative comments, like, this is never going to work. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, two and a half months later, we had just a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful beach. The, the thing uh, about building that beach, I'm, I'm going to close here uh, uh, on this. The thing about building the beach is, is what is counterintuitive to most people is your sand deficit under the water and, and how much the, the entirety of the shoreline, the, 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 not, the not visible part of the shoreline had, had faced. And so for our first couple of months, you know, the beach was, gosh, maybe 50, 60 feet at, at low tide and maybe 75, 80 feet uh, no, this is 50, 60 feet at high tide, 75 to 80 feet uh, 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 at low tide. And then we had a, a couple nor'easters and we had the remnants of a hurricane pass through and it moved a lot of the sand in the near shore area. And so we faced some folks like, see, this isn't going to work. But then the beach really settled down. Uh, she really came into her own, was, was in a much more stable environment. All the predictions from our engineering were, were coming true. And then the uh, the this past summer, uh, in this this last stage of this part of the project, uh, they dredged another fifteen thousand uh, cubic yards, and we moved another ten thousand cubic yards uh, down. And and our beach uh, again, we haven't had knockwood major storms since we that we did that, uh, but we're really at our full design right now, uh, the full twenty five thousand design. And our our next phase that we're exploring with the town is. Um, we finish paying for this project at the end of next year. So it, it's basically a five-year bond that the town let. They have a AAA bond rating, uh, so they have very favorable rates. 
They borrowed money. We paid it back on our tax bills. Uh, in a, essentially, it's a pro rata formula based on your house values. It's a little bit more technical than that that I won't bore your leaders with, but feel free to put people in touch mm-hmm. with me if they want to know how we did it. Um, th- so those payments ended the next year. So now the discussion we're having is whether we want to extend the district, uh, both to provide funding for annual maintenance, but also we're considering buying Suffolk County, New York, buying dredge pipe for them. Uh, so we don't have to move it mechanically. Wow. Yep. Now, this is the kind of part of the story that I love, uh, Nat, is that uh, there are th- the driving force for this response strategy is in the private sector, in the hands of these 62, 63 property uh, uh, parcel owners that are out there uh, driven by your volunteer time and your compatriots. Uh, and uh, the service of of First Coastal uh, to keep this thing alive, to overcome the skepticism, uh, the doubts, the legal hurdles. Uh, Along this multi-year path that you and your property owner uh, neighbors have gone through and the association has gone through, were there points along the way where you and others – felt as if it were not going to occur, moments of crisis, uh, moments of uh, where, where you begin to lose faith? Did you? How, how was it to keep it all together over the extended period of time it takes to put this together? So I'll say our first, that first year when we began having the conversation on the special taxing district was, it was where I was most nervous. And, and, and our president at the time just had a great way about her and she was a calming influence in the community and it just allowed this really open, open dialogue. But you know, it, that's when I was most nervous because we're all sensitive to what our, our property taxes are. And we do have a number of uh, senior citizens on fixed income. We have people of modest means. We have people of great wealth. I mean, it really is a combination. And it was those times when, you know, I was worried, is this going to be too much for some of my neighbors to bear? You know, that was, I would say, one time. And then, you know, when I was uh, uh, two years later, when I was president of the association, oh, gosh, every other day, you know, I'm walking to get the mail and, uh, you know, <laughs> someone will come up to me. This project's not going to work. You're wasting our tax dollars. But, uh, you know, I felt vindicated by the vote that we had. Eighty six percent. Of course, that this was to go through. But, you know, there were and then, you know, we had local communities that were pro that were concerned that we were that, you know, this was, quote unquote, their sand because it had been coming their direction for the last couple of years. Overcoming that, I had to present to their community association several times. And then, you know, your local politics can get a little hot on occasion. Uh, and, uh, you know, keeping a cool head and just keeping, you know, one step at a time got us through the end. But yeah, there were lots of times where I'm like, we're dead in the water. You know, our first estimate we got back was double what we had planned on spending. And we were able to change how we moved the sand. We had, we had intentionally, initially we were going to fluidize sand from a stockpile and send it our direction. Uh, and then that, that wasn't going to work out from a cost perspective. And so we decided to move it mechanically. Well, success is the best outcome. Uh, and what convinces people that there is a way to manage these recurring long-term problems like shoreline erosion. So it sounds like you've done two placements so far, a 15,000 uh, cubic yard placement followed the next year by a 10,000 cubic yard placement. I got to say the beach looks great. The photos are awesome. Uh, 
And even though this is modest in the world of coastal beach restoration, uh, if we were to look at projects in Florida that are millions of cubic yards or in Louisiana or on the Texas coast around the country, uh, the complexity of the project from an engineering, permitting, and financing and political standpoint isn't less. Um, all of the things that are necessary for large and small projects have to go through. Uh, if you were giving advice to local property owners, organizations that uh, face a similar problem, um, how would you tell them to approach a challenge of this magnitude? Uh, well, I, I think the, the first thing is it, it, it seems daunting. It is a little bit daunting, but you understand, you know, keep coming back to, to with your neighbors that this is our home. This is our shared experience. The beach is our shared experience. It's where we gather, where we play with our children and, and the absence of that beach, you know, most people in those communities bought because there was a beach and you really have to have a centering place. You know, then you need to get into, okay, how are we going to get our technical questions answered? And you get into these really hot homeowners association questions of the expen uh, expenditure of resources. Um, and, you know, our first big dive into this uh, was setting aside a significant portion of our reserves to do the engineering plan. And uh, it was a gamble. And, and and people you know, would say, listen, we're taking this on faith. And it took us two years to get from our first conversation to, to spending the money to write that report of, of just socialization. Every, you know, every time I would see someone on the beach or what, what was left of our beach. Well, a big shout out is is warranted for Aaron Tertunian and the folks at First Coastal who uh, took on this project with the association and donated, I understand, a substantial amount of time over the uh, couple of years it took to put this together. Tell us about First Coastal and how instrumental they were in your program. I can't say enough good things about Aram and his team. You know, initially, uh, it was an engagement, right? So we he came in, did a pitch, several pitches, I should say, and we hired him. And everyone understands what that is. That That's an engagement with them to do a feasibility study. Then came the permitting process and all the engagement, the over 20 meetings he attended with us, with our town board, uh, at our town board meetings, defending the project in the public arena. And that was a good two to two and a half years where you know, we would have calls every week and he wasn't getting paid. He was not getting paid for those two and a half years. And then finally, when we did the project, obviously he was in charge of the project and managing the project. And he was doing that as a part of the town contract. And there was you know, appropriate remuneration involved for he and his team. But he was so committed to creating the precedent for how to teach communities like ours to solve their problem. Uh, and, you know, maybe uh, I can tell you, you know, Aaron's put me in touch with three or four different communities just on Long Island. Uh, who have similar problems and ask me to walk them through our experience and what they might want to do. And at least one of them, I understand, is trying to proceed along along similar lines. And so, you know, the, the bet for Aram was that, you know, he did the hard work to create the precedent that other people could follow to fix their own problems. Yeah, he's a he's a true coastal professional. Everybody at the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association uh, board knows Aram. He's served on the board for several years. He's an outstanding coastal engineer, and he's a local guy. That also helps because he understands the community and understands the people. Um, there is a special element that I want to touch on uh, about the North Sea Beach Colony Shoreline Project. 
Uh, in full disclosure for the listeners out there, I now work for a company called Vesta, which is a carbon capture company focused on coastal carbon capture using olivine sand, using restoration activities, the integration of the use of olivine material to capture and store uh, CO2. Um, the North Sea Beach Colony Project was the first reasonably large-scale application of olivine sand for coastal climate uh, response and carbon capture, and uh, which explained my attendance there to uh, witness the placement of the olivine on, sand on this project. Uh, I was wondering, Nat, if, uh, if you would tell us how uh, uh, Project Vesta, Vesta came involved in your project and uh, how it turned out that the olivine sand was added to your beach. Sure. So, uh, as we discussed, uh, you know, first coastal with Aram was, was, you know, helping us through our beach project. And I think if I recall right, Aram met the Vesta team at a conference talks about the, that, that, that's a reminder to all of us on the importance of in-person uh, gathering in these times of, in these times of COVID. And, um, and so Aram, uh, you know, brought this uh, concept to our uh, attention. You know, it's at first it's very simple. How would you like some free sand? Well, we, you know, we like free sand a lot, actually. And so then he sort of walked and he's like, you know, how would you like to get, you know, you know, be a part of a, a very unique scientific project that, that could have dramatic implications for carbon capture in the world? Uh, and he walked uh, first uh, my, myself and, and, and my colleague who's in our community, who's an environmental engineer through the through the science and brought the Vesta in to talk through it. And then we had some conversations at our, our board of directors and then our community, which we briefed a few times. And you know, ultimately we decided uh, along with uh, the town of Southampton uh, and ultimately the state of New York and the Army Corps of Engineers who had to permit this experiment to put 500 uh, cubic yards of olivine in the uh, intertidal area on our beach. And uh, I have to tell you, it's uh, first we're proud of the effort because uh, we, you know, we're 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 truly thinking globally, but acting as local as you possibly can on our little 1,400 foot of of frontage. Uh, but you know, the biggest questions the community had was like, you know, is it it's green? Is that going to make our beach green forever? And and it doesn't. It will wa- it will wash in. Ours is still green because it was only put down a few weeks ago uh, in that intertidal area. And then of course, people want to make sure that there's no uh, uh, you know, negative environmental impacts and, right. and that it's uh, no heavy metals or things like that. And we made everyone comfortable. The science was very, very clear on that, that it, the chemical composition was very s- similar to the sand that we have uh, today. And, and I'll tell you, you know, when, when I was just down at the beach yesterday and when you walk in on the olivine sand, it's like walking into the beach right now on Hawaii. We have a little bit of a rocky shoreline traditionally, you know, stones and pebbles mm-hmm. and uh, uh, with, with some fine grained sand, but uh the olivine is ground just a hair finer uh, than our natural beach. And so people feel like uh, people think it's the best thing that we've ever done because they walk in the water. And I think I've heard the word luxurious used uh, more than any other. <laughs> well, it's an it's an incredible project. And for coastal communities out there, uh, Vesta is interested in teaming with communities facing shoreline erosion problems uh, and looking for affordable sand supply. In this case, sand was, uh, the olivine material was brought uh, and delivered and placed on the beach at the complete cost of Vesta. And I think uh, 
the reason why that is an important initiative for the company is that this project launches a two-year scientific uh, investigation of the performance of this material biologically, economically, uh, from an engineering standpoint, uh, from a carbon capture standpoint. Uh, Vesta has placed three scientists uh, permanently on, uh, on Long Island and opened a laboratory there to do extensive testing of this of this beach material. And uh, we're very excited about it. I've served as the project development director for Vesta, uh, reaching out to coastal communities interested in this stuff. But uh, it was a big step for uh, the North Sea Beach Colony Association to embrace this experimental technology. And uh, we're just thrilled about the partnership and and really looking forward to the results of the scientific investigation. Uh, how is the community? I'm glad to hear that the community has responded positively to it. And, and during my time there, I was, I was uh, very happy to see that people were well-educated about the material, well-educated about the purpose of the project. And I chalked that up to the association's leadership, to you and to Guido, and also to Aram Tertunian, uh, it seemed folks were really well prepared and willing to be part of this potentially world-changing uh, beach project. Yeah, I have to say a, cu a couple things. So, so first of all, adding sand to our beach, even if it's a green for the time being, is a lot simpler to convince people of than raising their taxes. So let's remember where we where we came from. Yeah. Uh, but but more importantly, uh, you know, everyone felt good about participating in something that could really help the state of, of, uh, of decarbonization of our atmosphere. And, and specifically, you know, if the science bears out to what, you know, Vesta's lab science would say it should, uh, you know, this could be a solution for coastal communities around the world in that, you know, uh, if it, if it captures enough carbon, uh, uh, and, and will, uh, by doing that, we'll deacidify de de the water, but if it captures enough carbon, it should offload enough carbon credits that you could see beach restoration projects essentially paid for with the carbon credits and, and, and probably carbon credits to spare. I mean, just the 500 cubic yards of sand that, that Vesta put on our beach, the scientific team estimates is the equivalent of taking conveniently 62 cars off the road for two years. Uh, and and you know, that was a selling point for our, for our neighborhood. Well, around the country and really around the world, millions and millions of cubic yards of material sand are relocated uh, for beach and shoreline management. The opportunity to convert these projects to some degree into carbon capture exercises is really an exciting uh, uh, opportunity. Um, it does need to be, and I think the reason I'm proud to be working with uh, Vesta is it has to be grounded in credible, detailed, peer-reviewed science. And this effort to study this beach, this small placement, is the beginning of what could be an important new initiative in shoreline management in the United States and around the world. And uh, a lot of great things have started on Long Island. Uh, you know, Charles Lindbergh departed for Paris from Long Island uh, the game, I love this stat, the, the, you know, Pong, the, the video game was invented on Long Island. Some of the greatest aircraft design and manufacturers uh, originated on Long Island. 
as did uh, Nikola Tesla's first wireless transmission uh, devices were built on Long Island. It's a, it's a place of great innovation. So, uh, Nate, I was just happy to, to be there and very happy to see uh, this organization, your association, your community, uh, along with the town of Southampton. Jay Snyderman, the count, county supervisor, deserves a lot of credit here. Uh, Aaron Arama as well. It, it's hard for me to overstate the importance of our town supervisor, Jay Schneiderman. And for, you know, frankly, he and I are different political parties. I vote for him anyway, because he has been an incredible, incredible partner. He's a pragmatist, he's a realist, um, but he also you know, hold, help, kept us to our paces. Uh, and you know, his team, his staff at our town hall has been great. And you know, we initially had some skeptical town board members and Jay would coach us on, okay, here's what it's gonna take to pull them over so you can win the vote. Well, you know, when, uh, when, when we talk about the complexity of shoreline restoration projects, especially local initiatives like this, uh, people will often tell me, well, you know, uh, all of those problems, that's just politics. And I say to them, uh, it is all politics. Everything we do in the public sector uh, is political. And the political skills necessary to navigate uh, these projects to success is very high. Um, and it is because we operate through p- public decision-making bodies where the considerations of the elected officials are superb and supreme in the list. Uh, I, I, have, I am not apologetic about the fact that political skill is an important part of shoreline management and shoreline restoration. As a 30-year veteran of Capitol Hill and an expert in uh, government relations, uh, uh what do you have to say to the folks about the skills necessary politically to execute these projects? So I think the most important thing is to differentiate between capital P politics, which is, you know, call that Republicans versus Democrats and lower politics. And, and, and in, in a lowercase P environment, this isn't about uh, differences between political parties or some of the divisive issues that we watch on television you know, local government is, generally speaking, about solving problems. They need to keep the roads paved. They need to get remove snow if you have snow in your community. And they also need to take care of their, their beaches. Now, that doesn't mean it's always to get on the top of their priority list. And we talked a little bit about the things that, that, that we ended up having to do. But, you know, I always remind young people when I speak to them, you know, people get intimidated by politicians or they have preconceived notions. You know, politicians put their underwear on one leg at a time like everybody else. And so the question is, you know, how do you make your best case um, uh, before them? And, and I would say the most important thing, if you want to change the course of events and help your community, is a ton of patience. Don't let the process get you jaded. You can make a difference. Don't let the naysayers bring you down. Just keep on keeping on and be methodical about it. Uh, never get angry. Uh, and the political system should, you know, normally will respond in, in kind. You know, sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, that's what elections are mm-hmm. for. And when it wasn't responding for us, you know, we took some decisive action to get their attention and, and turn things around. Well, such a great closing statement, uh, uh, Nat. We really, really, really appreciate, uh, really appreciate it. Uh, this was an, this is an incredible success and a perfect microcosm of the complexity of shoreline management in America but also a testament to the power of local communities and local uh, organizations, private sector actors to wade into this complex area and to pull off successful projects. And I uh, can't thank you 
uh, enough for joining us on the Local Control Podcast on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Well, Peter, thanks so much uh, for ha- having me. And you know, if any of your reader, your listeners, uh, want to uh, you know chat further, you know, feel free to connect with me, and I'm happy to tell my story in even more detail. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Nathaniel Weinicke. He is the a board member and past president of the North Sea Beach Colony Association in Suffolk County, New York. Uh, from Long Island, and uh, one of the principal players in pulling off an amazing coastal project uh, that's worthy of study. Uh, Nat, if folks want to get in touch with you, uh, how do they how do they reach out? How do they find you and your organization? Uh, you know, they can find me. Uh, they can direct message me on Twitter at at Winicky W I E N E C K E, or you can find me uh, on uh, on Facebook, or you can find the North Sea Beach Colony Association also on Facebook. And and Peter, if they want to uh, you know put some questions maybe in the comments on the podcast, then, you know you can share my uh, my email with them offline. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time, and thanks for sharing your story with us on the Local Control Podcast. Thank you.